extra special, extracurricular, extra wonderful episode of Normandy FM. As always, I am one of your co-hosts here, Eric Van Allen, joined by Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you doing today? Waiting to be sucked into the breach. It's it's the dream we all share, is to be sucked into the glorious burning future of the breach. <laughs> um <laughs> Man, before we get into the actual content of the episode today, we have a couple updates, and I also just want to do, I I think this might be helpful for us, considering how large this game is, to just kind of do check-ins every episode, to just be like, how are you feeling about the game at large, and and kind of the things that you're doing in the game? Um, And those will, obviously, they'll be taking place out of time with what we're discussing, uh, and I'm springing this all on Ken. He hasn't heard a single bit of this, which is what I planned. It's what I wanted from the beginning. Great. But I realized there's just a lot of aspects of this. I was streaming the other night, um, and I was playing through some like side quests and stuff. And I was like, you know, there's no real good place for us to put these things. But they exist so far outside of the continuity of the game that just talking about our general feelings on the, the game structure and how it's put together every once in a while can give us a good chance to, to check in and just kind of chill with that because it is a very large game but before we get to that uh we have two major updates uh number one the schedule is shifting around as ken discovered while uh doing his own playthrough there are certain aspects of things that are gated by story mission completion, so we will not be able to get through some of those story missions when we had planned to, or we'll have to do them a little bit earlier or out of order compared to other ones. To make this easy, uh, we're just going to kind of be announcing the episodes as they come week over week. So obviously this week is recruiting the mages or the Templars, and then next week will be uh haven and skyhold uh and then after that we'll start doing our companion missions which i think we can safely say we'll be starting with dorian the dorian episode uh of those but halfway through our companion missions we'll have to do here lies the abyss and then there will be another uh stop off we'll have to do with wicked eyes and wicked hearts so that way we can complete some of the other companion missions as they pop up and obviously because we have guests for a lot of these those might fluctuate within those bounds a little bit but just giving you a heads up that the story missions and the companion missions are not as blocked off as they previously were uh they're kind of more i guess tiered is what you'd say ken like there's there's stuff that we can do without having to play here lies the abyss or wicked eyes wicked hearts but uh there are some companion missions that require us to get through those things in order to talk about them uh the other the other fun announcement that we have this one's a fun one uh our pax panel got accepted uh we will be hosting a pax online panel and i'm pulling the email up just so i have the full information for you uh but it will be called in your heart shall burn it is a ranking of the dragon age companions for those of you who Uh, attended our panel at PAX South where we ranked the Mass Effect companions. It will be a fairly similar process, uh, albeit with some new folks. So I'm pulling it up because one of my other PAX panels got confirmed accepted, so that was messing with me. Uh, We are currently scheduled to have our panel on Sunday, September 13th from 6.15 to 7.15 p.m. Pacific time 
on the PAX2 channel. We will be planning to do it live. That is the plan right now. We will let you all know if that changes, but we want to have it live just because having the live audience aspect makes it a little bit more fun for us. And also it lets us kind of have a crowd tiebreaker if we get uh, tied up in anything. And not only will it be Ken and myself, but we will have three wonderful guests joining us. Uh, Natalie Flores from Fanvite, many of y'all know already if you've been listening to the show, as well as Josh Silverman. Uh, both of them are returning uh, guests of Norm DFM that will be helping us rank. And we have a newcomer who's not only new to the panel, new to Norm DFM, but will also be on an episode later this year, hopefully. Ash Parrish from Kotaku will be joining us to help round out all the ranking. Uh, I'm very excited. Yay. Ken, how are you feeling? Oh, it's going to be fun. I Thankfully... I don't have like a person that I'm gonna really have to go to bat for in Dragon Age because all the characters that I like really love didn't get swept up in the weird way that Mass Effect formats its games. So I don't need to write an ode to Dorian Pavis because he's <laughs> naturally going to float to the top. Everyone loves um, Dorian. Dorian's great. Yeah. So should be fun. I mean, I mean, there are a few characters that I imagine could probably get a little bit heated, but nothing that I'm gonna have to be super angry about later. I'm sure. I feel like my early my early feeling on trying to establish a ranking is that the Origins characters, for the most part, will kind of fall to the bottom side. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be, like, let's say one or two standouts, and I don't include Leliana among that because I think Leliana is kind of an Inquisition character at this point. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I think the really interesting thing will be getting people to try and pick their favorites between two and inquisition because i feel like those characters have much stronger ties like everyone you can have kind of a favorite cast let's say in mass effect but in dragon age i feel like people very specifically latch on to certain characters and like get a real attachment to those characters in a way that even like mass effect doesn't particularly have i feel mass effect the love was much broader and then obviously we had some cases where ken had to break out the monologue and really get going (laughs) but uh for the most part like kind of have an idea of where you know garris and tali are going to be at the top and everyone everyone from andromeda is going to be at the bottom um it's literally not what happened but okay what that's that's what happens no it isn't Plenty of characters got at least like second tier. Uh, yeah, Vetra. I, Vetra. Track. Vetra was pretty high up there. You're right. You're right. Um, I always forget that Vetra was in Andromeda. I just picture Vetra living in some beautiful vacuum that's separated from Andromeda. Uh, and that's actually the segue I'm going to use now because Ken, while I was playing, uh, I'm at a portion of the game where I'm kind of unlocking some of the larger free roam areas and potentially even looking into things like keeps and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um so i went to the western approach and that's what i was doing the other night while i was streaming uh i am going to start streaming more often by the way uh listeners at home so if you want to keep up with that uh, i'll be tweeting about that from my own account uh and playing from my own account we don't have a normandy fm twitch account because that's just a lot of extra work for no reason (laughs) so uh but i was playing the other night and i went to the western approach and i was i had this moment where i was like this is andromeda like this is straight up the first world from andromeda like it has that same feel 
has that same like vast open expanse where there's all this kind of stuff to do dotted around it it's like i had a moment where i was just like oh man this is what this game is at this point because i'm just kind of going through and i was going through my list of okay well I need to generate approval so I can do more Dorian missions, which means I need to take Dorian along and do things that Dorian likes, but I also need to uh, be collecting resources because I'm trying to get the assassin specialization, so I need to make sure that I'm looking out for you know, enough death route and stuff like that. And It was just... I was going through and being like, oh man, I forgot how much there is just like things to do in this game that feel kind of very disparate if that makes sense um and there are parts of this game i really i really do enjoy where it manages to tie all those systems together like a cool one in the western approach is uh i stumbled upon the the poison hot springs the first time you get there your characters are all like choking and stuff you're like oh my god and and you can unlock an operation that's basically like hey let's go back to skyhold Uh, go back to our fortress and figure out a way to get rid of the poison hot springs so we can then go in there and figure out what's going on in there uh i like that a lot but other times it just feels like every time i go to a new map they're just kind of like well go go do the fade rifts and go do the the side quests they're kind of scattered everywhere they're just little mini story missions and go do this and go collect this and here's a requisitions officer who's like inquisitor i have something to report and then doesn't say anything and just hands you a piece of paper (laughs) um and and i don't know ken like how are you feeling about the sort of like collect-a-thon aspect of inquisition at this point i don't i don't really know how you and i are like on two separate paths on the one not not in the literal sense of like being in two separate paths but like I haven't had to engage in most of that, and I don't know if it's like I'm trying to think that there might have been like approval stuff in the that made it happen more like I got like a head start on companion missions or something because like I have been able, I spent I actually don't know what time is right now but I spent the majority of the time I've been playing doing companion stuff and that has not required a lot of the sort of open world bullshit. Um, and that's also, like, like, I've been doing that, and that's how I've been getting a lot of the power to, like, the Inquisition power to do main quests and kind of just have you path the game. Have you unlocked that... all the different areas that you can do at this point? So, like, the, the Empress um, de Leon think, and the Emerald Graves and all that? I think the first the first one he said was the one that I have not gotten to yet. And okay. for, for context, I am, like, two companion... Or, well, now that I'm reading the, our schedule... I am basically working my w- way up to Wicked Eyes and Wicked Hearts, so I have already mm-hmm. done everything else on our schedule before that, and I've, I guess I don't like I don't really know how I've managed it. If it's like if you're having to you know really mess with all that shit to get your powerpoints to go on to other like go on story missions, but like I've managed to not really have to be anywhere for that I don't feel like being for an extended period of time. Like I did get to the point where like I I did have to go running around and collecting stuff for my specialization, and because yeah, um, yeah. like I'm I'm doing Night Enchanter, which was you know I had to go like kill certain wisps out in the world and take their essence and then, uh, but that wasn't like 
don't know, that taxing, that didn't take that long. It wasn't, this, it didn't feel like this huge sort of, like, distraction from what I actually wanted to do. Because it was more like, I, I guess I'd set my eyes on doing that. So it was just like, it just felt like the natural course of things for, like, my priorities. I think right now one of my frustrations is that it's very unclear the best way forward for me to get approval from a character. Because, like, Cassandra, you get the missions where you can just go kill the the Templar, the Rogue Templar, and that'll yeah. get you a ton of approval from Cassandra. And that's how I kickstarted all of her companion stuff. But with Dorian, uh, I haven't been offered yeah. similar missions. And I don't right. know if that's the difference between what route we took or not, but... Yeah, because that was something that's, like, kind of hard to me now. It's, like, you kind of get set up on a certain path of, like, kind of, like, an uphill battle with some of these mm-hmm. characters, like, kind of with the missions we're going to talk about today. Because Cassandra and Vivian can't fucking stand me right now mm-hmm. at this point in, in the in the playthrough. And I did, like, by the time that I got to the point where I could unlock uh, Cassandra's, you know, her personal mission and more of her content... I had been with her long enough that I kind of chipped away at that hatred she had for me. Uh, and a lot of that was, some of that was, because, like, you know, every character kind of has that secondary quest, which is basically, like, a means to gather approval if you didn't have it already. And uh, so, like, I had done a lot of that with Cassandra and just generally been more agreeable. Because like, once we got past the fact that I was like, Mage Freedom, I don't believe in the Maker. We kind of found things, I guess, to uh, God's dead to bond over. magic. That's your yep. <laughs> slogan. Yep. Uh, so I don't know. Like I, maybe it was just a matter of like I don't know. Like the, the order of operations that we did when we were getting to the point of unlocking and progressing the relationships that maybe has put you at like a slightly bigger disadvantage because I honestly don't think that like I probably. Will, I wonder if I will be able to unlock a lot of Vivian stuff just because she hates me more than Cassandra did. Like, I had her, um, not, not crisis point, because, like, she, she never leaves, but, like, her I don't fucking like you scene, I've already had it, and I never got to that point with Cassandra, but, like, she, her general demeanor towards me was never great until, you know, we'd, I'd taken her out to go uh, find the Stiplars and eventually gotten to her companion stuff. So, I don't know. Yeah, I admittedly have not... I've done some of Cassandra's stuff, and that was because of the way we had it structured before, but now that I'm trying to do Dorian's stuff for the new schedule that we have, uh, I'm just hitting an uphill battle, and I'm not sure if that's because of the fact that I chose Templars, uh, but... I do know on Dorian specifically, if you side with the Templars, he, like, when he comes to you later, uh, he already comes with less approval than a character starts out with, typically. And I think... I don't know if that's the same way with Cole... Um, Cole doesn't seem like he gives a shit. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, and but I do know that specifically, like, and that that that's maybe an issue with the fact that the game does not uh, have the meter anymore, and that like, we can't see, like, you know, scientifically, this is where we're at with this character. We kind of have to go off how they greet you when you speak to them. Um, but I do know that whoever it was that like looked into the files in the back end of the game. Dorian comes to you with less approval at the outset if you picked with the temp- if you decided with the Templars. Mm. I mean, there's always the option that I have of just like going into the back end and like fudging those numbers myself, and I'll do that if I need to for us to like see the scenes that we need to see for this game and all that. But I'm trying to approach it. 
outside of the war table um as much as like the game is intended to be played in that respect mm-hmm. and i'm definitely feeling that with approval the the weird like as much as i like the way that approval in general is handled in inquisition uh it does get frustrating to just kind of have the approves slightly approves greatly approves and vice versa yeah. for disapproves what what does that mean like yeah what is, like um, is that a okay. plus one plus two plus three situation or is that like a plus one plus two plus four situation or like right know. i don't know it's a it's a weird thing because like they i think they made the right step making it where like characters approve or disapprove regardless of whether they're standing right next to you because i think that is probably anything that they should have done the entire series but like making it this because in theory that's how the real world real world works like you don't have a meter next to anybody that you meet and that tells you how they feel about you but when you have attached like when it's a video game and there are systems attached to that and you were trying to not necessarily game the system per se but like you were trying to progress the story forward I don't think hiding that accomplishes what they think it is. So let, let me let me point out the distinction here that I think illustrates the frustration. Uh, in Mass Effect, specifically like three, uh, when you have trainer and trainer's always telling you like, "Hey, somebody wants to speak to you," or "Hey, you know, it's got that new crewmate. They're wacky. You should go talk to them and stuff like that." Like I thought, trainer was a really effective way of just keeping the player notified of what's been going on and you know there's messages to read somebody wants to speak to you etc um it was like a good little reminder and she was placed right where the player would always be walking to like forward to do something new so it was like Mm. hey you're moving into a situation where you're ready to go do a thing why not go do this and like that's a good little nudge forward um and dragon age inquisition doesn't have that and i really feel like it needs that like it i almost wish that's what scout harding could be in a way yeah like when you when you come back to skyhold you know you just when you spawn in or whatever or maybe like you're like 10 paces away from her yeah i mean you're close to her but i i kind of wish like whenever you walked in she'd just kind of be standing there and she'd say something like cassandra was saying that she'd like to talk to you or cole's been looking for you or something like that and yeah that would be so much more effective i think and also like having some sort of character that you can talk to maybe even josephine and maybe this does exist and i just haven't found it yet but um like speaking to them and being like hey how does x person feel about me uh and Mm -hmm. you know that will let you get a gauge of like oh this person you know you're pals but they're not really they don't seem like they know you very well or like they're really angry with you or something like that the only way that, because like, characters have like tiered greetings based on approval and uh, like advice. Like um, I like I when I realized that I was at a point where Cassandra didn't hate me, she like when I because like, when I spoke to her, like her tone was obviously like off, and like the way that she spoke to me, like she was like, uh, like when I said goodbye, she was like, why am I not surprised? Like as if I didn't care to speak to her or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I eventually got to that point where she liked me a little better, she said something like another time then, like you yeah. know. A very casual, normal person greeting. Yeah. And uh, I guess that's the way they want you to gauge it, just like the character's demeanor towards you. Um, but I, I don't know, I'll go back and forth on it, because I really like the the idea that they're going for there, that like you don't get to sort of like look at a bar that tells you, oh, I need to go do all these quests, so this person likes it. Like, you, 
more like having this sort of sense that somebody doesn't care for you and kind of, you know, assessing from there. But it is also a video game and I would like to have some sort of clarity. Video game is the most video game in, in many respects. I mean, I haven't messed with the inventory and stuff much, but there's just so much numbers going on in different, like, you're going to a thing and you're getting the magical points that let you unlock another area and stuff like that. There's like a lot of video game happening already in this game that they're not really trying to like mask. <laughs> you know, the the whole power system is them basically saying, if you want to do more stuff, do more game and then you'll get more game. Like that they're basically just laying it out right there. And yeah. yeah. Let's talk about today's missions. Uh, so we have a split in the timeline uh the way that this works is at where we left off uh the inquisition knows that it needs to seal the breach and it needs magical power to do so and it could also use some allies we were approached by let's say well we were approached by one party and have noticed another party let's put it that way uh and we kind of have a decision to either go speak with the mages in Redcliffe or with the templars you actually have to do like a special mission uh which is really just you spend some power to find out where the templars are located uh and then go to the templar uh keep and and try try to recruit one of those parties for the purposes of this playthrough uh i am going the templar route so that ken may go the mage routes and I will say before we get into the mage route, just as a little teaser, uh, I think I like the Templar route more. I, th I honestly think that in a vacuum, it's a very interesting story, but uh, we can get more into that as we go. But Ken, why don't you, uh, you take it away with in hushed whispers? Because there's a lot going on in this, this mission. Yeah, so we start out, because we talked to Fiona, who we... Have I think she's the uh, the Grand Channer and also Alistair's mother, but nobody cares about that for some reason. Um, and she was like, we're opening up the Rebel Mages to an alliance with the Inquisition that could possibly help you close the breach and also just be, you know, allies to you. And we're told to meet her at Redcliffe, which we all know from Origins was a place that looks nothing like it did in Origins, which is fine because the games are like five years apart and all different engines and different systems, it's fine even though, like, the geography of what's happening looks nothing like it did before. Uh, so we get to the meetup, and Fiona has no idea who we are. Or, like, she knows who we are, but, like, she, she does not recall us ever making any such deal. Um, which is clearly suspicious. Mm -hmm. And then we get there, and apparently they have allied themselves with a Tevendra Magister uh, named Alexius. And... It's clearly something is suspicious here, because... Why, why one of the magic is doing it for Elden. Uh Why does Fiona not remember that we ever spoke? And now the rebel mages are under the uh, leadership of Taventer. There's a lot to unpack here. Um, Alexius comes in and we're like trying to like kind of negotiate terms. And then his son, Felix, uh, kind of like falls over onto us. Like, like he, like, he was in a fainting spell. Um, Alexius rushes to his side, and then he's like, we're going to have to talk about this another time, I'm sorry. And then we see that Felix actually hands us this note that said, uh, meet me in the Chantry, or something along those lines. 
Yeah, me, me um, and the Chantry, you're in danger. Like, very yeah. foreboding. Yes. Um, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta scroll. Up. I'm not, I'm not used to being the actual host here. I, gotta I know, right? It's a whole keep thing. Keep up. I gotta keep up with the wiki and like scroll. You gotta and... like keep everything in mind and kind of like carefully take it through beat by beat and discuss each one. So, um, at, have we talked? Have we met Dorian yet? No, we have to. Well, meet Felix first. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, we go. We go to the chantry, and we get in there, and then there's like a rift open in the middle of the chantry and this handsome man that is just over here fighting demons. You know, he's got this nice staff. He's got these nice mage robes going on. He says, oh, you're finally here. Will you help me close this? So we get into a fight and then we learn that this man is Dorian Pavis, who is a mage from Tevinter, but he clarifies he is not a magister and that uh, the uncultured South tends to use those interchangeably. After we get to the fight a little bit, uh, Felix finally comes in and says that his dad like wouldn't like leave him alone. He shouldn't have played the sick card, as he calls it. Um, and as we're talking, we learn that Felix has apparently has the blight and is, uh, I guess, unaware of any sort of a Grey Warden shenanigans. So doesn't know that there's like, like maybe a way to do something about that, a cure, and or quote-unquote cure, if warden, being a warden is a cure. Um, and that that is a great deal of uh, anxiety on Alexis's part. Just put a pen in that. Um, but then we get to talking to Dorian and Felix, and they're like, so yeah, it's kind of suspicious how the mages had no recollection of your deal, right? And then he Dorian tells us that Alexius has time magic and is able to uh, move freely throughout time. And in this scenario, he went back to before we met Fiona and Valrio and basically brought the mages uh, under his wing. Mm -hmm. um, or servitude. So, quick quick question for you. How okay. do you feel about the way that the mages and Templars are made into factions in this game? And sort like, of... into homogenous factions? Both in that way. It's just more like they're this... I feel like already, at this point, we're starting to get to a point where, like, the humanization of these uh, two different sides of this conflict that Dragon Age 2 did is kind of getting squandered, like, to make these things a faction and a force that you can have under your, like, under your jurisdiction. And already at this point, there's, like, a weird feeling of, like, I would like to help these mages... Like, I would like to help their cause, but I, it is always being presented to me in the uh, the context of, like, how they can help the Inquisition. I mean, that's the way that the Inquisitor operates, though. Like, that's kind of... I feel like that's reflective of, like, just your character's place in the world. Because in Dragon Age 2, you're able to affect change on a smaller scale, right? Like, that's, that's kind of what Hawk's deal is, is that Hawk has a city that they're able to mold with their actions but the inquisitor is working on a larger scale and the more you pull back that lens and the more you pull back that scale the harder it is to like have those sorts of very focused uh dives into specific things so that's why i think like the side story stuff sticks out a little bit more because that's where they kind of start to experiment with things and go like okay well let's tell a little mage story over here or a little templar story over here 
as like a side quest in the hinterlands that is completely optional but you know could shed some light on how things are going or or you know how these different factions interact and stuff like that but it's also just a massively large game and at some point it needs to say like hey you are making a choice to like you need the help of mages or you need the help of templar and which one are you going to go for and so in that way yeah it does kind of like combine all of them together but i think with characters like vivian and stuff like that it tries to at least not turn it into a thing where it's just one unified force that you are just trying to please like it's a party character well i think what i'm, what I'm more referring to is kind of like on the scale of like the franchise at large because i mean by the end of this episode we are going to have ostensibly solved the mage templar problem mm. um in like at least in like as much sense as we will in, in a more direct hands-on sense because like, i mean eventually a lot of this is going to get kind of related to like uh an epilogue but it's mm-hmm. more that like this is them more or less putting an end to the templar mage war and yeah, yeah. i'm not a fan of like the way that these like okay there's this conflict that's happening in this universe that is about to kind of get swept up in something that is one like I mean yes it's larger it's like like in a in a way there's that sort of idea that there are bigger issues but it's also like it kind of I don't know if I want to like give away exactly how I feel about these missions offhand but although I kind of already have throughout this whole Dragon Age seasons um I'm just not a fan of the way that like plot lines are kind of rolled into other things in the way that Inquisition does, at least specifically this and the next story mission that we'll get to after it. Because it, it's it's weird watching Dragon Age 2 establish a very specific kind of like dialogue within this universe, and then it gets swept up in a larger scale conflict that kind of silences the issue in a way that I'm not down with, and I don't think does the Mage Templar story justice. Well, I mean, there's the aspect of like how like in what way this ends the conflict and and i mean we can just straight up say now like you choose the side that gets to win like the one that allies with the inquisition is the one that survives and carries on the other one is the one that falls due to hubris uh and that's kind of i that's the choice you make even if it's not very clearly broadcast from the outset um and so I can agree there that that's not a very satisfying way for that conflict to end. But also I feel it's it's a little reflective of how things in the world work, right? Because, like, you can have these sorts of, like, two countries could have very specific beef with each other that gets swept up into a larger, like, world war situation. And then that ends up, like, the outcome of that war ends up influencing the the final like the ongoing relationship between those two countries i feel like that's a little bit more of the scale that we're seeing here with with the mages and the templars which is this conflict is so massive that it swallows all other conflicts in its maw and so uh you end the you end inquisition and trespasser with the world in a very different state because of the scale of things that have happened and the the level of conflict that is carried out across thetas because i mean i i don't know if we've really driven it home yet but like 
throughout the entire world there are breaches tearing open with demons pouring out and there is a literal civil war between like people who have fire hands and like magic knight dudes who are huffing lyrium to get more powerful <laughs> like just happening in the streets like in farmlands and stuff like that they're literally like murdering each other in farmlands and there's so much just general chaos and strife in Thetis right now that like that's why I like the introduction of Red Bull or Red Bull <laughs> shit <laughs> of Iron Bull's character <laughs> oh man I'm gonna be thinking about that for a while um that's kind of why I like the introduction of Iron Bull's character is because he gives you that perspective of hey yeah the Canari are sitting overseas right now and they're looking at what's happening in Ferelden and Orlais and they're like oh that seems pretty fucked up we might have to like get involved before that comes to our shores and to Vinter's kind of the same way which we get a little bit of a glimpse of here with Dorian uh that like to Vinter's kind of going hey there's some uh some bad stuff going on over there <laughs> maybe we need to get involved um so in in some ways like, I, I totally understand what you're saying that, that this conflict does not get like the sort of resolution that Dragon Age 2 could give it where it could be like okay we're going to have an actual like climactic showdown between the mages and the Templar and all that but I also I also don't necessarily know that I would have wanted that because I feel like it would have just reduced it down to just like one of these I think that's maybe my ultimate hang up with this stuff is that it kind of like reduces it down to oh well one has to die and the other like that's it whoever dies dies and whoever lives gets to do whatever they want or whatever um either all the mages are wiped out or all the templars are wiped out and that's it that's the end of the story and i think maybe that's where my hang up is well i think because like if you compare it to say okay like mass effect 3 had these like you know individual story missions that were basically like you know the wrapping up of like an ongoing conflict that they yes. had throughout the trilogy i think the difference between something like uh Rannoch, where you're settling the affairs of the quarians and the geth we weren't quarian or geth in any of these games what right it feels like what it feels like to me is that i spent all of dragon age 2 with hawk and i you know i started this civil war and so I have, like, a personal investment in these stories in a way that, like... I, I, not, to say that, like I, not to say I didn't have, like, a personal investment in things that happened in Mass Effect 3, but when you're playing the Shepherds of the whole game, your perspective doesn't change. You have, like, a sense of detachment, even if, like, you have an investment in what happens. And, like, through the perspective of Shepard, which is the only perspective that we've had, we, you know, we see the situation, we make the decision based on whatever it is, and we ultimately live with how we have influenced it throughout the entire trilogy. Whereas here, when Dragon Age is a series that decides to hand off stories to other characters, it feels like... The, it feels like the, the conclusion to other people's stories happens in the presence of people that weren't there. And I think, especially in this, and, I mean, at this war to say that we will deal with the Grey Wardens at some point, uh, like, having the Inquisitor be the person who kind of, like, sticks his finger in somebody else's food and, like, t takes it for themselves. I don't like it. And 
it really makes my anxiety go up about Dragon Age 4 because thinking of, like, what if what if the thing that happened in the Trespasser, like, that entire thing gets reduced to, like, one of these missions? Because, like... I'd be really Dragon surprised Age, if that happened. But Dragon Age, Dragon Age has given us zero reason to expect anything else. What? I would not say that. Like, okay, if we if we look at Trespasser as in as an ending DLC that sets up a a villain character for the next game, they did something very similar with Dragon Age Two, and Corypheus became the main villain that carried it out throughout all of Inquisition. So, I think it's safe to assume that they're going to attempt to do the same thing with what they set up in Trespasser. I, I don't mm. see them wrapping up that conflict in a single story mission. I th- that would be just <laughs> I don't know how you do that <laughs> that'd be very very confusing well even so then like the sort of like, like I said like s- somebody else's story being finished by somebody else that's like still fair game and that's bullshit and that is getting way like it's more like the, I am noticing Patterns like and that, that has been sort of like what's been happening this entire time we've been covering Dragon Age. Like I'm noticing patterns in the way that Dragon Age handles handles continuity. And as much as like I love Inquisition, the, these first two missions in particular don't leave me a lot of hope for how Dragon Age is going to handle things that happen at the end, end of Inquisition in the future. I also so. know that this is a place where you and I diverged greatly in our thoughts because like for me, I like the idea of heroes that come and go and the idea of like you play a hero but they are not a monolith within like the universe of dragon age like mass effect did that very well because i think it was designed to you know it takes place over a very set course of time in a very designated area and all that um you know you're always in the milky way in in mass effect like those those worlds get bigger as the trilogy goes on but you are always in the Milky Way. You are always doing the the things that Commander Shepard does, and it follows that storyline, and it does that very purposefully. But with Dragon Age, you're going between three different heroes who all have very different scales that they operate on and different like paths and, and things that they do in their life. And I think that's more reflective of you, the player, being this sort of... Um, reader who is gazing into important times in the world of Thetis and not necessarily just taking control of the most important person in the galaxy and and making all the decisions and, and we talked about this in in Mass Effect 3 as well like the idea of Shepard being this character who um like the the galaxy kind of revolves around and and they're always there for the biggest moments and they make the decisions and things happen when Shepard is present. But um, I like the idea that the Inquisitor is this character who is just trying to do the thing that they do. And I don't feel that, I don't feel like any conflict belongs specifically to a character. I think it belongs to Mm. what a character like like what the world demands of it because Corypheus like for all that Corypheus is uh you settle a lot of that in the DLC and and that kind of stays self-contained and I feel like if that just ended there and that'd been the last we saw of Corypheus and then Dragon Age Inquisition just had a completely different villain we'd feel very differently about that um but also 
like hawk does other things hawk is not solely defined by their conflict with corypheus and even though they like they do go out of their way later on in this game to exemplify how characters from dragon age 2 have a specific tie to corypheus and in some ways feel responsible for what is happening in inquisition um in the case of stuff like mage and templar like that's that's something that has been happening since origins like that's something that's been happening forever like that's not a conflict that i feel like any character can particularly own themselves maybe in a hyper localized sense like you know hawk was very involved with the conflict in kirkwall and what kickstarted there but even then like anders i feel has more claim there because he's the one that actually set the bomb off so i i i guess all of this is to say like i this world evolves to the events that happen around it and that's not always going to lead to these very satisfying narrative moments where this person finally gets their thematic um victory and all that but it also means that like this world can evolve in a way that is more honest to real life and the way that those things evolve because movements are not movements are driven by people but they're not necessarily wholly owned by people you know it's and and that's kind of how i feel about that it's i know it's like very vague and all that but uh i like that no one character can claim ownership to any of the major conflicts in dragon age they're all just they're all problems that every character has to deal with in some way so before we move on i'll just just lead on two notes Mm -hmm. one i want to ask as vaguely as possible do you believe every sort of like encapsulating thing you said applies to the end of trespasser I don't remember the end of Trespasser well enough to answer that question. I, I, are we talking about the specific thing that we've been alluding to in Trespasser? That, like, yeah. that specific one belongs to a specific character? Yeah. Uh, I could see them going a direction uh, where it would be a, a new character in Dragon Age 4, if that's what you're driving at. And I don't think I would wholly hate that. I, I would want them to justify it in some way, but I think you can still tell that story without necessarily needing the player to drive that character. Well, okay, we'll put a pen in that for like <laughs> 10 episodes from now. Um, for like 19 episodes from now, Jesus Christ. Um, and the, the second it was like, I don't, obviously like this is, as you said, a very diverging path between us, but I also like, my feeling on the rest of how this is going to play out and we're, as we're going to move forward, um, maybe more so with the mages, because like, I, I did watch the Templar stuff, so I'll be able to talk about it, but like, the, maybe the Templar stuff feels like that order and that, you know, that faction kind of reckoning with itself in more of a way, where it feels like mm-hmm. the mages are the ones that just get, get more like swept up in something else, and... Yeah, yeah. You know, going from the Chantry to the Inquisition, I mean, that's a whole, like, that's a loaded thing, but like, more just like, they fight for their freedom and then they just become this faceless thing that you throw at Corpheus. And yeah, well, we'll unpack that throughout the season, I guess, just because like, yeah, I, I think the way, no. I think you definitely have a point there. Like the way that it does this to both forces is cause I've, I've seen it referred to like, cause I was, I was looking up online to see what the storyline impacts of these 
missions are and a lot of responses i saw were basically like oh you're picking what enemies you're going to fight for like 60 percent of the game is do you want to fight templars or do you fight mages um and that's honestly pretty accurate because it really just kind of changes some other minor things like what you know corypheus toady you have to deal with all the time and all that but um other than that like these these have impact in the world at large but we don't really get to see that for most of the game and i think it turning these forces into these faceless conscripts of the the inquisition regardless of what you choose um you know the the actual like way it's expressed in the game world is largely the same uh is is, is a little bit of a bummer uh, but we can move on with yeah. the, the mage stuff now. We can actually talk about the missions now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So Dorian tells us, you know, Lexus has uh, time magic, and he is leading the the faction called the Venatori, which are these uh, Tventurers, kind of like. Uh, why did I just blank on what word I want to use? What is like a not good version of enthusiasts? I, extremists that's the word i wanted oh i was uh, gonna say zealots but yeah that, that works. well that's true that works too yeah. Th- those are synonyms um and th- they are obsessed with the inquisitor for some reason and so we're like okay that's weird that he's kind of like putting like you know the, the pomp and circumstance forward to be like oh we want to have like an official meeting and uh talk to you just about an alliance with you between you and the mages um basically implying that alexia scott the mages here to bring the Inquisitor here and put himself in sort of this, uh, you know, this scenario where he has the power to negotiate. At least that's what we assume is happening at this point. Um, and then Sidorian's like, so yeah, whenever you decide to meet up with Alexius, let me know. I'm going to go hide away because he can't know that I'm here, but I want to be there when you actually get into this sort of, uh, discussion with him. Um, I forgot... They mentioned like what Dorian, what ties Dorian has with Alexis, Alexius. Oh, right, yeah. Dorian is kind of like Alexius is Dorian's mentor, and okay, um, yeah. So that is that. Uh, so can I mention something real quick, just real offhand? Uh Alexius looks like the Hobgoblin from Spider Man. He's his hood makes him look like the Hobgoblin from Spider Man. If if y'all ever want to like have a little giggle, just look up the Hobgoblin from Spider-Man and then look at a picture of Alexius. It's the same character. It's literally the same character. This dude is a comic book villain, and it's kind of goofy in a way hop. that I... It's, it's, it's his hood. It's the hood with the little spikes on it. Uh, it's hilarious. I recommend it. Does the Hobgoblin have a dying son? Uh, well, wait, yeah. Isn't the Hobgoblin technically Norman Osborn? Oh, I have no idea. I'm because I am a well, comic no, book movie bitch. I don't know shit about Green, the actual comic. Green Goblin was Norman Osborn that then becomes mm-hmm. Harry Osborn, but then I think Hobgoblin is when Norman Osborn comes back. But let me, I'm gonna double check that real quick. We can't be wrong about Spider Man on this podcast. Why did I, why did I Google search Norman Osborn? I shouldn't have Google searched the Hobgoblin. Um. Oh, that that didn't help you. Oh, there we go um the alias of okay yeah so norman osborne was one of the hobgoblins uh along with other characters who i don't recognize at all but norman osborne has been the hobgoblin briefly impersonated the original hobgoblin 
I'm definitely not seeing that over and over again because I like seeing Hobgoblin. <laughs> Stop it. All right. So, anyway, we end up going back to Haven and we kind of get around the war table and there is a sense, like, that uh, Alexius has kind of outplayed us and we, if we want to approach the mages in any way, we have to come up with some other thing because clearly he... Like, he sends an invitation to the Inquisition, like, I want to meet with the Herald and Andraste. And then Liliana makes a joke, like, uh, he's so complimentary in the letter that we're sure that he wants to kill you. Um, so, for a moment, it seems like we're kind of like, okay, we need to maybe go talk to the Templars instead. But then Liliana, I, maybe the dialogue is different if you didn't recruit her, but she remembers the, uh, the passageway that we went through in, uh, to get into Redcliffe Castle, where, uh, Alexius is, and apparently he got... You know, he has overthrown the Arl, and he just kind of hangs out there. And she remembers the, the uh, passageway we went in Origins to get in without having to, like, go through the front door. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that I'm going to be the bait and go meet up with Alexius, you know, under the pretense that we're going to actually talk about making a deal. And as we're doing that and distracting all of the guards and everybody that Alexius has uh, got there... Uh, Inquisition troops are going to go through that uh, hidden entrance and take people out as they get up there. Um, Cullen says one more time, like, if you don't want to be the bait, we can go get the Templars. But then Dorian kicks in the door and is like, I'm here to help. And I'm like, ah, oh, my <laughs> knight in mage robes. So that is kind of like the, that is the point where it gets to where like, oh, at, I guess even at that point you can, you know, backtrack and go get the Templars instead. Because uh-huh. uh, it's kind of, it's, basically the point where it's like it says like oh if, if you if you uh go get the mages you can't go get the Templars and I imagine that scene at that point for you would be a little bit would be the same but without Dorian or at least like I guess the specifics of what they talk about would be different too but it, it gets to that point where like there is a clear path that it makes and it points out like this will have ramifications so choose wisely so that is the plan we go in there and like the, the first guard that he has is like oh the, the invitation was only for Master Trevelyan what are the, the other people doing here because I had um, I had Bull and I had Varric with me and I was like they're going wherever I'm going so if they can't come with me then I'm leaving and then they're like okay cool walk into the throne room Alexis is up there and he's like oh let's talk business and then I immediately like drop the facade and was like I know you asked me to come asked me to come here so you could kill me and he's like then why did you come this is weird and you, you, like, you have the opportunity to ask him about like, a couple things, like, what... Because he starts to kind of, like, uh, stop saving faith, and he says, like, you're a mistake. The mark on your hand was meant for somebody else, and it was, uh... And it is, like, the demands of, quote-unquote, the Elder One that you be disposed of. So you have the opportunity to ask him about a couple things you can ask about who the Elder One is, what the mark on your hand is, um... How he, like, has time magic and stuff. But ultimately, like, he kind of talks around wherever you ask him, so... He's like, okay, guards, sees him. But then as as the talking is happening, like, rogues from the Inquisition are just, like, slitting the throats, like, out of, like, just out of Alexis' view. And Dorian comes up at this point, and he's like, you sound just like, you know, what everyone here thinks that Tevinters are, back, like, what we're all like back home. And then so Alexis is caught off guard a little bit by that. He realizes that Felix kind of orchestrated this whole thing. And then he realizes that all his men are dead. Mm-hmm. And then, in like one last ditch effort, he pulls out this uh, medallion that makes this sort of like portal thing happen. And then Dorian 
uh, uses his staff and, like, knocks it out of his hand, and then suddenly you and Dorian wake up in what looks like a dungeon of the castle. And it's covered in red lyrium. And you take out a couple guards, and they, like, you know, are really surprised that you're even there. And then Dorian just, like, kind of assesses the room and then realizes that Alexius had planned to do something with the timeline uh, to, like, maybe, like, write the Inquisition out of history. Or the Inquisitor specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're like, well, then what the hell are we supposed to do? Like, are we... Did we go forward or backward in time? So, we have to go through a little bit, and we find our companions that have been, apparently, imprisoned here for a very long time. They... Because, like, the red lyrium that's covering the places uh, sort of started to infect them. And you kind of ask, like, oh, it's been... I I want to say it was, like, a full year. Let me double-check that. I want to make sure. Find what happened. This is me vamping for time because we are an audio podcast and it's not interesting for me to be reading in silence. <laughs> I So, I mean, it is a set amount of time, but I do like this thing that it does because, I mean, the Templar story does something similar that we'll talk about, but... It's really more of like a theoretical thing, whereas like here you get this very real like timeline switching situation where I feel like you get a glimpse of what would happen if the Inquisition did not exist. And I think that's an interesting like compulsion for if if you were playing an Inquisitor who's very much like, I don't know why I'm in charge of all this. I don't know why I need to be doing any of this. Uh, it gives you a reason for like, hey, if you Mm -hmm. weren't here, if you weren't doing any of this, this is what the world would look like right now, like, without your influence. Yeah. And so I just checked, it has been a full year, and as we're talking to people, we kind of, like, learn about things that have happened, like, uh, we hear mention of, like, a demon army that overtook all of Thetis, the the assassination of Empress Selene, who is um, the Empress of Orle, Mm -hmm. and... So, like, we get a sense of, like, oh, very specific things, like, very specific bullet points that uh, the Elder One has in mind, and eventually we learn, or we, we even find Fiona here, and she's been kind of, like, grown into the wall, and, like, like with Red Lyrium, and she says, uh, your, uh, your spy master is here, too. Find her. So Liliana is here somewhere as well. Uh-huh. Um... So we find her, and she's in the middle of being tortured. She looks rough. Like... Yeah. Like, just, like, her face looks, like, corrupted. And a, a weird little side thing, like, I had seen this section um, in an E3 demo about... would have been, like, six months before the game came out. And that wasn't the case. So, like, I thought I knew everything that I was getting into when I started this up. But then I saw her, and, like, it was this, like, actual, like, genuine moment of, like, shock and, mm-hmm. like, being taken aback. Because, like... Liliana's a badass. She's not supposed to be ever, like, worn down in that way. But if she looks rough, and, like, um, she's, when you, uh, you go in there and you fight the people that were torturing her, she's like, you're back. You're, you know, you're here. Like, everyone thought that you were gone. She grabs a bow and is like, okay, we're going to fuck up Alexius, because what we gotta do is we gotta get, we gotta find him, get his medallion, and be able to use the same spell to go back to the moment when we left. Mm-hmm. Um... And you can tell that she's just, like, really messed up because, like, Dorian is, like, trying to get a sense of what's going on and just, like, talking and she's just, like, shut the fuck up. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to... You're you're trying to 
fill time and space. This is some fantasy to you, like this alternate reality you'll never have to see it, but we have all lived this, and don't make light of it. And so he finally, like, backs off and doesn't really, uh, you know, test that anymore. We do finally get to the throne room, and Alexis is there, and so is Felix, and Felix is, like, clearly, like, uh, what, what do they call him? Like, he's like a, not, a, not a ghoul, but what do they call him? Like, if, like the blight's taking you over. Oh, um, oh, I thought it was a ghoul. Um, is it? Okay. Yeah. Like, like basically, yeah, the, what happened to, um, our, our best friend. Lariath. Lariath. Hilarious. <laughs> what happened mm-hmm. to, to good old Larry? <laughs> um. Mm, okay. <laughs> how could I forget him? <laughs> Lariath. Oh, Larry. <laughs> you were a real one. You didn't deserve what happened to you, Larry. Yeah. Do we ever so, find out what happened to mm, Larry? I mean, does he just kind of get... We, we do just get shed like a suit like an mib you know i'm talking about the edgar suit and men in black ken I've, no you've you <laughs> haven't seen men in black ken no oh my god ken you need to watch movies i've watched plenty of movies you need to watch different movies <laughs> and not the same movies <laughs> i don't do that either so how ken how many times have mm. you seen frozen the first one Yes. I mean, like, over the over the past seven years? Yeah. Ballpark it. <sighs> Think about how movie... Okay, you don't need to say it out loud if you are, if you are not happy with the number. But I would guess, like, 20-plus times over the past seven years. That is at Whether least 19-plus like, okay. opportunities in which you could have watched Men in Black. Shut the fuck up. Anyway. <laughs> so, Alexius is, like, distraught because everything he wanted out of this deal he was had with, with this elder one didn't work out, and the elder one's, like, coming for him because I guess he's, like, killing loose ends. Um, then Liliana comes behind Felix, um, and Alexius is like, no, you can have literally anything else you want, just don't hurt him. And I say to him, you can give us the amulet so we can fix this, and he'll be fine. And then she's, he's like, okay, deal, whatever. But Liliana, having lived through all of this, isn't having it, realizes that Alexius is, like, the root cause of why they weren't able to fight back against everything that's happened. Slits his throat. Alexius freaks out. Boss fight. Mm-hmm. And then we get to, like, what? Even knowing that this was, like, an alternate future that doesn't have to happen... I got messed up at this next scene because Dorian and I are like standing there and Dorian's like, okay, I'm going to use a spell. I'm going to get us back to that time. And then, but we hear like forces are coming. Varric and Iron Bull look at each other and they just like go out there like silently with their weapons ready to just fight and die for the cause. And then Liliana says something like, you have as much time as I have arrows. And she is like, you know, just fighting, like, because there's a bunch of demons and shit, too, like, mm-hmm. so she's just, like, firing off all she can, and she's, like, saying, I guess, like, a, a prayer, like, a Androstian prayer to herself, and, like, when it gets to the point where, like, I think a demon grabbed her or something, and, the, like, the Inquisitor starts to, like, walk up, and then, like, Dorian, like, grabs him, like, no, you have to stay right here or we are all dead, and then as soon as it looks like Liliana's next about to be snapped, uh, we immediately come back into the, the uh, 
the throne room. Alexius kind of like falls to his knees and admits defeat. And then, casually, Alistair shows up with Honora. And they're just like, hey, uh, like specifically talking to Fiona, like, which I guess, which is weird because Alistair just doesn't acknowledge that his mother. I don't know if he knows. It's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and they're like, you were allowed here under like the, uh, like under the condition that you guys wouldn't cause trouble, which you have. Mm-hmm. So Fiona's like, well, what are we supposed to do now? And I'm, then so, like, the Inquisitor just like kind of slides into frame. Like, hello, have I got an offer for you? Um, Sort of like the, the branching point and like the choice where you're kind of, again, like stepping into the fate deciding role of a conflict you like are pretty much tangential to. You have the decision to tell whether you're going to be like allies with them, which means they're free to roam. They're just like, you're, they're like another faction within the Inquisition. Or you can make them prisoners, which basically forces them into servitude, mm-hmm. which is just putting them back in like a different set of chains it's not it's not the kind of dual option i would have expected for the mages but i can talk about why i think it's the route that they went if if that's where we want to (laughs) go well i'll just say i i obviously was like we're allies and there's some it's like probably it's, it's one of those things that like really kind of sets the tone for how a lot of the characters are going to feel about you. Because mm-hmm. uh, cause Cassandra and Vivian greatly disapprove, and they don't... Like, it was, again, like an uphill battle to get to where they even speak to me. Um, Sarah also greatly disapproves, but she is, like... When it comes to certain things, I feel like Sarah is, like, really steadfast in what she believes. Other things, I feel like... She certainly has beliefs, but, like, they don't... It doesn't feel like those specifically are so important to her that they are these sort of insurmountable things that you have to uh, really overcome the way they are with Cassandra or Vivian. But then um, everybody else really approves. I know that, so, so this is an interesting thing. I think it probably is the same with uh, with the Temple one, but Varric's approval or disapproval on these situations depends on what you did in two. Mm-hmm. So like, I guess sort of the idea is um, whatever he helped to make happen, if you go against it, he's not about that. Right, uh, so if you sided with the mages, he's going to support you making them allies, but not support them being prisoners, and vice versa. Right. Um, so, yeah, so it's an it's a really cool mission. I I'd honestly forgotten that that Leliana part was part of this mission, um, and and that's a part of Inquisition that I just remember really liking the sort of how the the party members kind of you know, basically give their lives to to stall mm-hmm. out for. I mean. It, it, all of it is a very like traditional time travel story trope, but I feel like it's done exceptionally well. And I think what Mm -hmm. that does and also what is similarly, I I think that the mage and the Templar split across both missions. They try to answer, uh, let's say two major questions. And the first one is obviously, you know, which faction is going to survive and how, um and that that gets a little bit more nuanced the more you get into it we'll talk about that in a second but um the other thing is what happens if the inquisition fails or if the inquisition Mm -hmm. does not exist um and in this one we get a glimpse of what happens if the inquisition does not exist um in a very tangible way yeah and in, in the templar one we get a glimpse of what happens if they fail um the 
I don't like the allies prisoners thing, but when you put it up against the Templar, so for me, when I was getting ready to do the Templar, the thing that struck me about that was it did not feel like the reasoning was we need to support the Templars. It felt like the reasoning to go to the Templars was that the Templars were the most in need of help. Um, that the mages were this powerful conclave and stuff like that, and having them as allies could be really useful, and their magic is really good. Like, there's very good reasons for you to go to the mage side, like, right off the bat, even if you're not already just siding with the mages. Uh, but for the Templars, it felt like it was constantly framed as there's something wrong with the Templars, and we right. need to go and fix it because if we don't that could cause problems that we don't even know about yet um right i thought that was an interesting way to frame it because i feel like inquisition in that moment acknowledges that the templars are broken like fundamentally and that there is not more so than you ever did yeah like there's not necessarily a way to frame it as the templars are good as they are it's that the templars are a broken order and that needs to be rectified in some way. Um, and right. so, like you mentioned earlier, the Templar mission, Champions of the Just, is well, a quick. reckoning. Yeah, I'll just close this. It is a reckoning of what the Templar are. But we, you want to mention something before we go there? Yeah, because, like, I mean, there is sort of, like, the fallout, which... Mm, uh, yes. In my, in my scenario, like, we get back to Haven, and Colin is, like, livid that I just let the mages roam free. And I'm like, what... Like, again, like, just letting ice coming to my hands like what did you think i was going to do here like what did you think was like when you sent a mage to do this what do you think was gonna happen and then uh josephine is like well we can't undo this because that would be a political nightmare because we would look either incompetent or just tyrannical like like pick like pick which one of those sounds preferable to you and then cassandra surprisingly despite the fact that she does not get down with this is like none of us were there we can't start doubting our people right now. And then Dorian just slyly sits against, like, sits against the wall and is like, oh, looks like one of you has some sense. Great. And then so like, we kind of talk the logistics of it. And like I had done, I put some of my Inquisition power points into uh, like Lyrium supplies. And so that was like um, one of the like special dialogue options I had to be like, if that's something we need, we can get more of it. I don't know if it has any actual, like, ramifications beyond sort of just like establishing different... Uh, connections that we have as like my version of the inquisition has mm -hmm. um and then liliana's like we need to look into some of the things that you saw in the future like the celine's death and this demon this mysterious demon army and then dorian just kind of is like uh is it cool if i stay because that was my plan and um you can tell him to leave which if you do you're a fucking monster who has bad taste in video game characters and you shouldn't <laughs> play dragon age because you have no leg to stand on and no right to exist in this universe where you make Dorian Pavis feel anything less than essential to the success of the Inquisition. Um, so I tell him, like, uh, there's nobody I would rather be stranded in time with, which is surprisingly not a flirting joke, or like a flirting line. So let's start talking Templars, because I think what, what the mage mission does really well is I think it feels unified in a way, like it manages to incorporate all the things that we talked about as well as introducing Dorian uh, and giving a lot of really interesting backstory on who Dorian is and why you should care about this character and stuff. It all feels very cohesive. Whereas the Templar mission feels disparate 
at times, even though I think that by the time you get to what the mission really is, it's very interesting, but it kind of feels like, let's say, two or three different ideas all slapped together mm. into one. That's and um, it is ultimately very interesting, I think, because it feels almost mass effecty in its design it, like the structure of the mission reminds me a lot of pharos in mass effect one where you arrive mm. and there's problems and then you realize there's a deeper problem and then you kind of start to double think what you've been doing and like it it builds on itself in a way that's very interesting but it also means that the fact that they have to introduce uh coal in the middle of it kind of unfocuses what is otherwise yep. a very sharp mission um so if you go the templar route obviously after valrio uh you have a moment where you're like wow uh this this lord seeker really does not seem like he's going to be helpful um it feels like you kind of start out with the stated goal of deposing the lord seeker and mm. installing your own power which i think is an interesting way to start that and and overall like i feel kind of gels with where my character is at where they're just kind of like okay well the mages have their shit together and all that that's that but the templars are literally crumbling we we might be able to step in institute our own order and bring this faction back into line with what it's supposed to be rather than what it is right now um and also, like, this is an opportunity to explore the Templar stuff, which we've not really had the chance to do in 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 depth up until now. Um, but to do that, we have to get a bunch of Orlais nobles to go with us. And we basically, like, we travel with a bunch of nobles to to Theronfall Redoubt, which is, like, the the stronghold of the Templars. To basically say like look you gotta have an audience with us or else orlay is going to be pissed off um and the herald is going to act as kind of the negotiator between these parties and you end up you, you end up teamed up with this lord abernash he's just the biggest dick <laughs> like this dude sucks <laughs> he he sucks so he is every orlesian noble that you hate wrapped up in the one because he's like the other the other main character that you're dealing with here is is uh knight templar or barris who's i think one of the most interesting templar characters that dragon age has ever done uh because he is a character who wants to uphold the templar order while also understanding how broken it is like he has a real desire mm -hmm. to do good but also sees all the problems inherent in the ways that the templar have been operating um he's a great character i like him a lot um so while Barris is kind of giving you these tasks like, hey, you know, raise these banners of uh, the maker, the people, and the Templars to say, like, what matters the most to you. It's something that every Templar does. Uh, when they arrive here, there's no real right or wrong answer. It just means that, you know, you have to be confident in what you feel and what you believe. And it illustrates that to all of your fellow Templars. And, of course, the Orlesian Noble is just like, Oh, why would I ever do that? Simply take us to Lord Seeker. And it's like, God, dude, like, fuck off, man. <laughs> Let me do the banner thing. Um, and I, I, I think I went with, like, people first and 
uh people first templar second and Droste last i think was what i chose hmm. um and this does get you approval or disapproval in some so like if you choose Andraste first then cassandra approves and solus disapproves um Fair. if you chose like the people first then Varric and sarah approve of it but vivienne slightly disapproves of it um <laughs> we'll get there don't worry Templars first, Blackwall slightly approves, Sarah slightly disapproves, and Vivienne slightly approves. Um, boy, Vivienne's going to be a character that we're really just going to have to discuss mm. <laughs> at length. Um, and then they, well, and so here's why I think they went that route. Uh, Barris can ask you, like, hey, why did you make this choice? Like, what was your decision here? And you can say, like, I picked it random, which obviously, like, Sarah, <laughs> Sarah loves. <laughs> um, I let Faith guide me. Uh, which surprisingly does not give you brownie points with Cassandra. Um, my reasons are my own, or I decided based on politics, which is how you get approval from Vivian. So I think mm. that's she sees it if you if you go that route that you're doing the smart thing that you're being like, hey, mm. I'm with I'm in front of Templars. I'm going to say that I like Templars a lot. Um, it's at this point that we then go to meet the Lord Seeker and quickly realize that things are going wrong because in the middle of the meeting, I think you can save Abernash, but I'm not sure because he just died. Like he gets killed by the Templars and then a bunch of the Templars erupt in red lyrium as does the, the Lord Seeker and suddenly like infighting starts between all the normal Templars and the red lyrium, uh, temp- the red Templars. Uh, and so you basically have to team up with Barris and the other non-corrupted Templars to fight through this, like, just this castle that is turning into a bloodbath of Templars fighting each other and stuff. It's really something else. And there's, like, um, no supply caches. Like, it's just this huge battle between Templars raging throughout the castle that you're running through. And it's really, really cool. Um, but then once we get to the Lord Seeker uh near like the top of the like like kind of where the throne room of the keep would be uh he grabs us and pulls us into the fade uh and that's when we realize that the lord seeker is possessed by an envy demon or rather is like an envy demon has taken the form of the lord seeker and one thing that i think is cool about this is i feel like this is the first time we've really dealt with an envy demon as Mm -hmm. as like an actual force you've seen a lot of pride demons like uh, sloth and lust uh, or desire or whatever but envy is like a cool cool one to explore because they do a lot of really cool effects in this bit where envy is kind of trying to just make you give up uh by being like oh they will never trust you they how could they trust you and like you hear all your advisors and stuff being like i can't believe we let an elf lead the inquisition like how mm. could we and and interestingly like throughout the templar stuff leading up to this people will make comments like call you knife ears and stuff like that so like it builds that up super well if you're playing as a character that's like a dalish elf but um you get even more into that there and envy is basically being like nobody wants you here why do things for them do things for me instead look what we could accomplish if you just give up and give yourself to me um and interestingly interestingly enough as we're going through this area there's all these different traps and 
uh, like flame geysers and stuff that can kill you. And if you die, you get a unique game over screen that says basically yep. like the NV demon took control of the Inquisitor's body and corrupted the advisors. You see like evil versions of your advisors. And mm-hmm. it's basically like they laid waste to all of Thetis and like the they crumbled under the, the dark inquisition and all that. It was like mm-hmm. that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. It's a cool thing that they do. There there are a few of those like special uh game overs. I don't remember all of them, but I know that like there are a few of those things that kind of like remind you, I guess, why you're doing shit and the worst case scenario if you don't. It's it, it's a cool, unique one for this one that, like, I think reinforces what I was talking about earlier, like, what happens if you fail, because mm-hmm. as you go through all of this, you're kind of seeing the world fall apart, and then you run into Cole. And, um... The reason for Cole being in this area is that he is there. And he just does all this very vague Cole-speak of oh, I'm just a spirit, and you're like, I'm here to kind of help you, I guess. You need to get out. This is bad for you. And Cole's like... Well, he does, like... <sighs> I mean, he does tell you things like, you need to think specifically about this and, like, ways that are yes. antithetical to the Envy Demon and, like... Right. Kind of, like, using his experience to, like, give you an edge. I, I'm more saying that, like, the reason for why Cole is here is very much like, oh, I'm a ghost. I appear everywhere. Like, it's it's starting a beat with Cole that I just... is the reason why I think his character grates on me personally, which is like, oh, Cole hmm. doing Cole ghost things. Like, he's like he's basically Casper the friendly ghost with a knife. Um, and I just... I don't know. It's... The thing yeah. I like about Dorian's introduction is it feels very like it, it tells you about who he is and it, it informs him as a character right. and informs the story in the process because i don't like, feel the mission there's is a about tie- him like the, the mage mission is actually like about dorian like, yes he is a player in that story that is happening there cole just kind of happened to be here and right. shows up and he's actually really only here for this specific part like he shows up in stuff after this but he's really only present for this one specific part where you're kind of fighting your way out of your mind away from the envy demons control um and you're doing all this stuff where you're doing all this veil fire and picking out keys and you like very like dungeon stuff and once we we reach the top we just kind of break free and the envy demon retreats uh behind a barrier and we're like, okay, well, that was wacky. Did anybody else see, like, a creepy ghost kid and, like, a demon and stuff? And everyone's like, no, we just kind of saw you, like, step forward, and that was it. And now the Lord Seeker's a demon. Um, so that part feels, like, very disconnected, I guess. It's a cool way to introduce mm-hmm. the idea of the Envy Demon and the idea of, like, you know, failure on the part of the Inquisition, but it doesn't feel as contiguous, I guess, as... the the mage stuff but where this really like hits its stride is now you're in the great hall you're surrounded by all the good templars uh the red templars are like battering down the door and you're basically like the one way we have of winning here is killing that envy demon because the envy demon's kind of like spurring them forward uh the templars are basically like okay we need 
the veterans who are still alive. We need, you know, the lieutenants here and we need more lyrium so we can sniff a bunch of lyrium and get super powerful. Like, you know, like we're Bane or whatever. <laughs> um, we're going to hold the main hall. You run out to these kind of side rooms and get some more stuff for us. And you have this kind of ticking meter where every like couple seconds that you're gone from that main hall, the defenses will tick down. And so you have to kind of balance running around and getting stuff uh, in the different areas surrounding the main hall while also going back to the main hall and helping the Templars that are still alive reinforce it. And if you spend too long away, you can actually end up killing characters and stuff like that or creating problems for yourself. So it's a really cool like balance that you have to do. And it really just, it puts a pressure on this mission that I think feels just right where you're having to balance making expeditions essentially out to get more you know templar help or to find where the lyrium is or to find information there's like special information that you can find in different areas around that will like extend the lore and give you other options down the road but uh you have to balance that with also doing you know making sure you don't lose everyone in the main hall it's a really cool mission i really really like it um Anyways, once we gather all of them together, we go in and we finally break down the barrier by doing some... Templar magic is so vague, man. It's just like, let's stab our swords in the ground and cause magic to happen. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Which I kind of respect, in a way. (laughs) But... um, We we do that, and then we go fight the Envy Demon, who's actually a pretty tough boss. Um, I had a little bit of trouble with it. Not, like, too much, but... um, it, It... it does some cool stuff and cole is also like hanging out and fighting as well um isn't there a certain point though where you learn about that corypheus hates selene for some reason corypheus wants to kill selene is what we learn in this basically like we find a letter that implies that corypheus wants to kill selene and that's like what his next move is um but that's really about all we get there and i think that's just intended as a way to like lead into wicked eyes and wicked hearts um right. which is that was always like god bless that mission i'm really excited i'm i'm only mentioning it because as i'm scrolling through the wiki it's the the mission that's playing in the corner like in the the video or whatever and man <laughs> it's it's so good it's so fantastic because that was always something that i wondered about because i had never done the simpler uh, version of this and because in the maid side you do like time travel and you see the future you see like the key points that Corypheus wanted to hit and that sort of like leads you into different uh missions that you do in this game so I never knew short of like a separate kind of like uh time travel thing how they establish those things on the Templar side oh like what Corypheus wants to do and like where he should go next yeah it it definitely implies that like the the wicked eyes and wicked hearts should be where you go next uh in order to deal with that stuff but um it is interesting that you get that like backstory about corypheus's plans and all that and i know that one of the reasons that people give for doing the templar mission is that you get more insight into why and what corypheus is doing and i think that's true but um ultimately i'm just kind of like I think the Templar stuff really hits its stride when it's about the Order and when it's about, like, the reckoning right. of the Order. 
because uh, the way that it ends is once you've killed the envy demon uh you are confronted with all the templars that remain basically and they're all kind of like hey well uh things went to shit um that was kind of bad uh what do we do now and i think the implication is kind of like well the order has been so corrupted at this point what do we do like is it worth maintaining the templar order and you can either ask them to join you as the free allies same as the mages or you can say like disband the templar order and like become part of the inquisition like just all the templars join the inquisition and just as like soldiers yeah basically like they become part of the inquisition's military as as just whatever pieces of that that fit Mm -hmm. um and that was that was the option i went for uh mostly because i feel like it's the way that this should have always ended which is that the templars you know hashtag abolish the templars and all that but like the templar order cannot exist as it is it needs to evolve into something else and if that's through the inquisition then so be it but like the idea of them no longer being uh no longer being their own force just controlling the mages but instead just being the military arm of the chantry as they were intended to be i feel like that just lines up better but dorian well dorian greatly disapproves no matter which way you go here (laughs) yeah um but the only people who disapprove of conscripting are cassandra obviously um blackwall iron bowl and then vivienne uh solace and sarah uh and cole all greatly improve but i think for me that was like the right choice and the right thing to do and they kind of give you crap about it for it at the ends um you know like i can't believe you just destroy the templar order and a single order or whatever but i don't know i thought that was the right way to do it that's just mm-hmm. me um but i think that's an interesting like they give you the tools to decide that and determine that yeah because that's a major major decision like no more templar order it's just done it's it's been fundamentally <laughs> broken it's like a backwards way of supporting the mages being like here's how i'm gonna get rid of the templars from yeah. the inside um, not that it's gonna matter much in a mission but yeah you know and then we get a scene after this where cole kind of appears in the middle of a war table meeting and is just kind of like oh yeah i'm i'm cool i'm here i'm doing stuff and you can kind of get into some interesting conversations where uh there's like a follow-up one where solace is talking about cole and if you do decide to have him stay if you if you decide to not have him stay cole just like makes everyone forget that he ever existed and disappears you know like very cole way of doing it mm-hmm. um but solace talks about him later and mentions like he's not a mage and he's not really like the closest thing he is is a spirit with a body which is like you know i think cassandra like raises the question wait does that mean that that's like a dead person or like a living person that a spirit is embodying and souls is like no i'm pretty sure that's just a spirit with a body like that is what that is is a spirit is somehow corporeal in the physical world without possessing not like justice right not like justice where justice was just like living through a body Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Um, so overall, like, I really liked this mission. I thought it was interesting, and I liked, I liked what it shed and what it eventually said about the, the Templar Order. I just wish that it had felt a little bit more cohesive and that maybe Mm -hmm. they didn't feel the need to shoehorn Cole in. Like, I understand that the way they've structured it um, and, and especially having Dorian introduced in the mage thing adds like an extra thing, but then it felt like they were just kind of like, well, we need to pick another character and have them introduced there. And Cassandra might make sense here, but Cassandra meets you at the beginning of the game and blah, blah, blah. I feel like maybe Blackwall would have been more interesting to run into here or something like that. Cole just feels like a very strange character to tie into all this. I think having just finished his companion stuff, I think there are ties there that are not readily apparent. That's that's like fair. In, that's fair. Not that I think that it ha- has much to do with the situation that's happening in the middle of this, in that particular mission, but at least like Cole is at least tied to the Templars in a way that we haven't gotten to yet. Mm-hmm. If not necessarily the specifics, like in the way that Dorian is, where that is like his mentor and he has come to stop him with our help. I don't know, like, for some context, Cole is like a book character, so I feel like they, maybe then this is again, like maybe, maybe something better off to his actual episode. But it feels like they that was a character that like they made, must have like really liked from the book that he was in, and they just wanted to find somewhere to put him to like bring him into the fold, where it doesn't feel as natural as something like Kaylee Sanders was in Mass Effect Three, where like she was at the school that she is that she teaches at in those books, and where Cole just comes into the thing that he has like somewhat of like an association with, but yeah, yeah, I'm interested to see how it evolves um cole is definitely a character that i did not like vibe with in my first playthrough of the game so i am going to try and give him the benefit of the doubt here it's just i don't know he's not doing anything for me yet he's maybe the only companion character that i'm really not getting anything from just yet colin Mm. colin a little bit too but i think colin is a slower burn as far as his character goes um so we'll see with that but Oh, buddy, those are our, those are our missions. Um, next week we will be talking about uh, some things that transpire in Haven, as well as potentially some other things that happen. I'm I'm very excited about this episode in particular because I think it's where some of the the stuff playing as an elf uh, has really started to come across in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Um, man, some yeah. Next, this next episode this this next section of the game is where i was just really reminded why i like inquisition so much because when it does these big set piece things it feels mm-hmm. like bioware absolutely just swinging for the fences like just yeah like this and here lies the abyss and wicked eyes wicked hearts are just absolutely incredible missions that feel like these massive set pieces that do so much and manage to do it all very well and yeah oh we get to be happy about bioware in these moments and we celebrate (laughs) that we also get to be happy about all our wonderful patreons at patreon.com slash normandy of who back us every week 
Y'all are great. And y'all keep us moving towards those tiers where we can keep doing more of these episodes. We have Inquisition Unlocked. We have Jade Empire coming up. If you get us even further, KOTOR will be on the horizon. We're very excited for that. And if you want Anthem, I mean, that's still on the docket too. If you want us to play <laughs> Bioware RPG Sonic Chronicles, <laughs> which we've only recently learned about, but is just something fantastic uh if you want us to get to a point where we could potentially play that you can head over to patreon.com patreon.com slash normdfm and back us there uh we always shout out our wonderful backers who back us at a certain tier and this week that is kevin kulikowski chris johns alice hawk colin just colin just reds just and zach mickle thank you all so much for backing uh, if you don't have the cash to do it, head over to twitter.com slash normandyfmshow, and you can follow all of our updates there. We also have a Spotify feed. Please sub to that. Please do all those wonderful things. We love having y'all back us there. And, of course, we are streaming somewhat more regularly. I might have to make a schedule or something, but I'm trying to be more regular about streaming some Bioware stuff, so look look out for that. Ken, I'm yep. excited to play some more Dragon Age. I think we should get to it. What do you say? Well, I gotta edit this episode, so maybe after. Oh, fine. All right. Ken's gotta edit. For everyone else, we'll see you next week on Normandy FM. We have watched and waited 